I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. Well, hey, Travis. What's going on, buddy? Uh, hi, Vinny. It's, uh... It's going. It's it's going good. Uh, yes. Or you said what's going on? Nothing. I'm I'm recording. That's what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? That's what I'm asking. Yes, indeed. indeed. Hey, say welcome to our friend. Indeed, that's what I was going to do. There's somebody else in the room with us here, and by in the room, I mean the digital room, this artificial construct we've created to do this. And that's our our buddy Tom. Hey, Tom. What's going on, man? Hey, friends. So Tom is my co-host from Warhammer Weekly. If you listen to this and don't watch because you don't have any interest in Warhammer, there you go. But yeah. Tom is also our our lead developer at Ventureland Games. So there you go. That's his other his other thing that he does. I do maths. You do maths, yes. And it's relevant, Tom. We wanted you to sit with us today to talk about this because today we're going to talk about kickstarting a game. And uh, obviously, we have some experience with this, not a huge amount. There are certainly many people who've kickstarted more than us, but we have run a successful Kickstarter. And so, Trav, my question Uh, for you is the following. I just want to start out with this. How how easy is it to kickstart a game? uh, It is not as easy as you think. That's... That's about as good of an answer as I can give. I think that's a good answer. Uh, uh, I don't know, though. Like, that Minotaur game funded. Sure, but uh, are you telling yeah. me they didn't do a ton of work? No, they did. They had great art, and they had all this. Other, but it, it was also a game about Minotaurs. So some really niche stuff can actually, like, succeed surprisingly. I actually think that's the kind of the key to a small Kickstarter is, is filling, filling a niche. But, yeah, we're going to talk about that probably, right? Absolutely, we're going to talk about that. So I, I think there's a couple things I want to drill onto there. Let's let's start out with with first off. So you've got a game you want to kickstart it, right? Let's let's start there. Okay, what is the first thing that you would tell people to do in that event when they they have a game and they want to kickstart it? What are their first steps? Uh, write your game. Uh, I think your first step is getting getting it done, right? Like. You need to have something very workable ready to go before you even before you even uh, set up your Kickstarter page. Yes, and we should say for this, our advice is going to be restricted more or less to role-playing games and those associated Kickstarters, right? Because right. other things you may directly need the funds to actually make the game. So if you're doing a miniatures game or a board game, you might you can't run you might not be able to run any copies of that game pre- uh, you know, pre having actual Kickstarter funds, but you can write a book. You can do yeah, it. Yeah, you can write a book. You can have that ready to go. Um, and you know, other other things have their own rules. I believe, like Kickstarter itself has like like set rules for like if you're gonna release a video game or something like that, and you want to get kickstarted, you have to have like a working prototype and stuff ready to go. So that we're not gonna talk about that stuff. Sure, sure. So, Tom, what's your first piece of advice? Be enthusiastic about the game. A good piece of advice. All right, that's Get, cute coming from you. Uh, I know. Thanks. Well, we'll dive into that though. Give, give a little more detail because I think that is really important. But what do you mean? So, uh, I, this is somewhat of an inside joke because when we did our Kickstarter, uh, I was less than enthusiastic about the game, um, and so it, uh, you know, it it really helps to uh, to 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 be sold out for your game. 
to be able to get on video and just talk up your game, to be able to uh, to be able to really, in a sense, um, vision like vision cast what this looks like and how it plays and all of those things. And if you are not completely sold on your concept, then most other people won't be. Also, yeah, I think that I mean, really, if if you exude an aura of excitement about your own game, other people are going to pick up on that. You know, it's just it's uh, simple empathy. Humans have it. They're going to pick on up, pick up on what you're feeling and what other people who are following your Kickstarter Kickstarter are feeling, and and that gets contagious. You know, especially in the age of social media where things can just snowball by by sending out a couple tweets. So yeah, be enthusiastic about your game. It's huge. It's a big deal. Yep, that's a good one. I would say uh, in addition, your research is the most important part. I'm sure that you even if you are, let's say you are really excited about your game and you're you're keen to get going right away. Uh, slow your roll that's my advice in addition to write the write the thing like have a finished thing start by researching a lot a lot more than you think you need to you cannot be over researched and what i mean by that is look at other games what else is being kickstarted right now look at the trackers see how there's lots of good videos out there for like how long should you run kickstarters how what should you set your goals at like in general for indie rpgs you want to run a shorter Kickstarter that is to say something in the realm of less than 30 days. Um, and you want to have uh, your goal probably be around. I think that the comfortable current RPG number is something like $2,500, right? That's what most indie RPGs set their number at. Understand that in your first Kickstarter, you're not Monty Cook. You're not going to get $600,000 for your first RPG. That's not going to happen. Like, it doesn't matter how good your concept is, how great your game is. You're not going to hit that number. And, yeah, and un unless you have some kind of outside user base that already knows knows you very well, right. you're just not going to get there. Um, especially if you don't have any user base. Like, if you're just, you're just uh, you know, an indie creator who's never put anything out before and doesn't have, you know, a following on any, you know, social media outside your family and stuff, you're, you, need to, you need to aim at a target that you can hit. Um, and then I think, I think with that though, you have to keep in mind also, like you should be, you should be aiming at a number that's going to get done what you need to get done with your product. Right. So like if you're, if you're going to launch an RPG, you should probably look at exactly what you need to get that RPG into the shape that you want it to be as a finished product. So if you have your, your, your book written already, well, what do you need for your book? Do you need to be able to hire someone to, to design uh, design the book for you, you know, you know like like the design elements, elements inside of a book? Or do you need to be able to hire artists for all the artwork in your book? Um, do you need money to, you know, get the extraneous bits and baubles you need for your game, like dice and miniatures and stuff made, um, pogs, whatever, whatever, you know, counters and stuff your game might, might need? Um, so aim at stuff that, that you need first, uh, more than anything else, and and you know, be you know humble <laughs> with with what you what you put up there on your first Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's here's I'll say this, Trev. If you remember back when when we first decided to go full in with our Kickstarter, I went in and I made a big and like use the tools. Time to break. Like, sorry, but some part of this creative endeavor is using a lot of Excel and Microsoft Project and stuff like that, right? And the first thing I did is went in and made a project plan and said, what are the dates we need to hit? 
to do this? Like, when would I be done? When could I get this? When could I have the art? When could I have the layout? When could I have editing? When can I have all this? Right. And then when can I get the books? How long do I need for review? And then when can I ship? And then be extremely, extremely liberal with those timelines. And what I mean is allow lots of extra time. So if you think it's going to take you X number of weeks, you want to make sure you're giving your artists lots of time to, to work because most artists are going to take, you know, four to eight weeks to turn around good art. Um, and so you want to give them, it, you know, more than that allow like a nice big chunk of time for your artist to work because rushed art equals bad times as I've learned in the past. Um, so yeah, really the, the most important thing in, in that situation is uh, giving yourself extra time because as long as you're honest with the people that, that are buying your product with this Kickstarter, cause that's, that's what they're actually doing. They're buying into the idea that they're going to get something out of it. Right. Um, as long as you're honest with them and say, well, this is how long it's, it's going to take on the, on the long end. And we plan to release this product at, you know, whatever date. Um, if you give yourself that extra time, then you can, you can make up for, for those issues and people aren't going to care because you were honest with them and you told them right away how long it's going to take. Um, and if you get it out early, it's even better. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the keys here to, to think about is this, no one's ever going to be angry at you for delivering a Kickstarter early. But people are going to be real angry at you for delivering a Kickstarter late. Right? Yeah, at the same time, most people have come to just accept within the game Kickstarter deliveries that like they're going to be late. Like I know that's terrible to say, but I it's like true. I can probably count on one hand, maybe two, that were within this. They they shipped within the same month that they predicted they would, and most of those are smaller Kickstarters. I don't. Yeah, I, and I think I think I don't think you're overshoot, overstating by saying that. I think that's uh, kind of the general thing. Uh, but to toot our horn, we got our stuff out when we said we were going to get it out. It's true. Um, and to, so to us, it's it was important for that. And I think it's it's something to keep in mind. Um, even though that may be the standard, if you could if you can rise above that standard, people are going to take notice. And the next time you can kickstart something, people are going to be more interested in your product because they know they're going to get something out of it. And it's probably going to come on time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why you should accept. I, for, Tom, I agree with you. That's how most of the industry runs, right? Is that just everybody accepts like, oh, it's Kickstarter. You add X number of months plus X number of weeks for every stretch goal. And that's how long it actually takes. Yeah, it's, unfor it's unfortunate. But yes, that's the general sentiment. Yeah, I, I find that to be a garbage sentiment. Like, if you tell me a date, I understand that things can sometimes go wrong. We shouldn't be expecting that. You should be trying to be better than that. And and the reality is, an RPG, one of the advantages of kickstarting an RPG is that, you know, unlike many other types of Kickstarters, like video games or, uh, or miniature games or something like that, right? Um, it is largely under your control. By that, what I mean is there's always going to be things out of your control, but a lot more of the process sits with you, the creator, right? You can, you don't have to, you're not going to get your miniatures tied up in a, in the port of LA on a, on a boat because the, the uh, dock workers are on strike, right? That's what happened yep. with one of the early bones, right? It yep. sat on the, the ships for like months. There was nothing they could have done about that, right? Yep. But you're not going to have that if you're working with a like a print on demand service that's here in the U.S. or something like that, which many of them are. 
going to be all in, uh, you know, U.S. creation. You have somebody that has an SLA. They'll deliver to you the product by. Um, if you have relationships with your with your artists, and by the way, when you go to conventions, you go to places like Gen Con and other types of conventions like that, and that you see those big artist alleys, um, stop and talk to those people. Find people whose art you like and talk to them about whether or not they're open to working with indie creators uh, who are making games. Build those relationships because if they know you face to face, they're probably going to be more likely to turn around work for you within a time frame than they would be if they just you just literally found them on the Internet and said, hey, can you do this? Um, and by the way, set contracts. <laughs> with your people um there are boilerplate I think that's true all over right you're talking about yes what we're talking about here is there's an there's an issue that that some some people don't approach their kickstarters professionally but you should you know you should you should walk into it with the mindset of uh, you're going to do this as a professional and you're going to need to set up contracts and things like that it's just, it's a necessary step and if you don't do it you're neglecting your own product and you're setting yourself up for failure Exactly. No, that's that's a great way to put it. And I totally agree. Yes. Think of it. Be professional with the thing you're trying to professionally produce and asking people to pay you thousands of dollars for. Like, let's not be funny about this. Right. Um, if you're asking people to trust you with your their money, then the least you can do is be professional about it. And yeah, like have contracts with your editors, with your artists. And if you're not a contract attorney and stuff like that, which you probably aren't, because, you know, not many people in the world are really. Um, that's okay. There's all sorts of boilerplate. Like if you just search boilerplate RPG artist contract, you're going to get tons of good contracts. It's that easy. In plain language, it doesn't need to be anything crazy. Um, but setting yourself up like that can really protect you later. Uh, so yeah, be extremely liberal, plot everything out, and really, really, really think about what your game needs to succeed. That's all just pre-stuff related to, like, the RPG book, right? We haven't even actually talked yep. about the Kickstarter stuff. Yeah? Yeah, the Kickstarter stuff is different. <laughs> yeah, because that's a whole nother layer. Tom, I want to hit on one thing you said, and 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 maybe you can give a little more explanation of this, because I think it's really important to, to hit on, and that's the social media networks, right? Like, if you've got these existing social media networks, utilize them. Get other people, and, and that's one of the things. Be if you're excited about it, get your other friends and family and you know your networks excited about it. Um, yeah, there's a reason why those pyramid scheme companies. I'm sorry if I just invented it. No, please anybody. go. Like, there's a reason why those pyramid scheme companies work, and it's because they're tapping into networks, natural networks, and relationships. Um, and if, if you are a gamer, you have a network of gamers. You have, because like, you don't generally Yeah, you play, at least have your table. Yeah, you at least have your table. You, do, you normally have a local game store, or regularly, many people do. And so, like, there are these kind of concentric circles of networks, and you need to be tapping in and have plans in place for each one of them. Yeah, I agree. You know, those are because that's the thing. Each one of them knows somebody. Right. And so on and so forth. And like you need to be utilizing that. It gets weaker every level you go out from yourself. That being said, it's still words and, and boosting the signal is a big deal. Here's another thing I would say. How many times do you do, like people always try to like, oh, well, you know, let me go 
let me go see if I can get Will Wheaton to mention my game or something like that, right? Because he's a tastemaker in, in this industry. Okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. All day, Will Wheaton gets deluged with people asking him to to pimp their games, right? And and he's just not going to do it. Uh, in, yeah, in, that is not something you can count on. Like, you can't go into it thinking that's going to happen. Right. So, but... Um, you could find other smaller indie producers who are looking to do joint ventures. And this is one of the things we did, right? We yeah. found some other related uh, producers of various things who were also kickstarting simultaneously. And we made little partnership deals or add-ons with them. And they did the same for us. And we, and we each utilized each other's network to boost the signal. In this case, both people have a vested interest in each other's success. Both are small indie people, and that's where you need to aim. You don't shoot for the top of the nerd pyramid immediately, right? There's lots of people at whatever level you're at you can network with to significantly boost the signal on your game, right? And right. Yeah, think, think of your first venture out as building your resume. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you don't go to, like, the president of the company and try to get an in, right, when you're trying to get your first job. No, but you, you might try to find, some, you know, like... You might try to find somebody who knows somebody in, uh, you know, in an entry who's a manager of an entry level position. Great. That's what you're looking for. Okay. Somebody with a little bit of cred and a little bit of an advanced network who's already interested in helping you out. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the Kickstarter. Like page and setting that up like there's so much yeah, that's a thing here. Um, people just think, oh, I'll just put on the Kickstarter page. How many hours did we spend? Like, I remember I did the initial Kickstarter page. Like, I, I, I put it together and said, here's my first draft. Because you, you can set all that up and not make it public, to be clear to everyone who's never worked with the interface. Right. Yeah, you get a draft stage to work with, yeah. Yes. I, I set all that up, and I remember you two had some harsh words. Yeah, we picked <laughs> it apart for a couple days. Um, <laughs> At least. Yeah, several days. Uh, most of it. A lot, like a lot of what goes into building your Kickstarter page to start with, is almost almost one hundred percent language clarity. Um, that that's really what you're looking at uh, from the start, because you have to make sure uh, communicating uh, your product is what you're doing. That's that's the the entire point here is communicating what your product is, what it's for, what it's going to do, um, and you really have to make sure you have someone you trust um, with editing go over every sentence on the page. Um, you just have to. Uh, because as soon as your, your message gets garbled, um, you're going to lose opportunities for more donations for your Kickstarter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so much, like, this is another place where research is your friend, right? Like, Go look at other Kickstarter pages and find the best ideas and steal them unabashedly. <laughs> like, what I mean by that is, don't be ashamed to go look at those other pages. And when they, the way that their layout, the nature of the way they use graphics, get a lot of good ideas. Sp I spent hours just reading other people's RPG Kickstarters throughout time and watching the evolution of it and trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work, looking at successful Kickstarters and stuff like that, right? Um, so what about what tiers? What um, about tiers? Oh, go ahead, Tom. So let me jump back. Uh, are we going to get to the add-on discussion? Oh, yes. We're going to get to the okay. add-on discussion. Okay. 
Sorry. No, let's, you're okay. Let's, do, let's, do, let's move on to tiers then. Okay, so let's talk tiers real quick. Uh, what, what, get, give a piece of advice you think from, from what we did the, about the tiers, especially RPG game related. Do you have any thoughts? Silence. Uh, don't do too many is what I would say. It's really easy to be like, I'm going to have this tier for this type of person, this tier for this type of person, and just don't do it. Okay, well, I think, I mean, there's just, there's too much to talk about there. Um, first of all, if you're, if you're making an RPG, you're going to have a PDF form and you're going to have a, um, probably going to have a, a uh, hard copy version, right? One and hope. yeah, yeah. I mean, in this day and age, it's not out of, out of, out of the question to have just uh, digital copies, I suppose. Um, but uh, I, I think most people who are making an RPG want to have a book in the end. They want to have a book in their hand at the end of the day. Um, and I think um, something that, that worked really well for our Kickstarter was uh, offering a, a very low buy-in tier that gave full access to the game. Um, I think it was, I think it was what, like $5 and, and we offered the full PDF or something like that. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, it's very low. We, and that, that was even in comparison to all the research you did. It was still low, uh, on the low end because most, uh, most games were still like offering it at like 10 or 15 bucks, um, before you got full access to like the, like a full PDF or whatever. Um, and that low buy-in is going to draw way more people in because they're going to see it as like, well, I can spend five bucks. I mean, whatever. I mean, that's great. I'll, I'll have a full game to play, and I only spent five bucks. I'm in. Um, as a, as opposed to you know those higher higher prices, um, uh, making making you know the high the higher price a tier is, the more someone's going to think about whether or not they should do it. You know, and that can boost your message too. So because by other people, so one of the things is that, like there's a subculture within Kickstarters of like people like backing and looking at what other people are backing. Like that's a regular kind of thing, especially amongst the gaming culture. Right. Um, and if, so if you do have a longer time frame, um, like let's say 30 days or whatever, um, that can, you can actually draw people in incidentally as they are like, as somebody is backing multiple projects, they look at what somebody else is backing and then they find your project. Um, and most people will talk about other projects that they are backing in the comment sections of projects. Um, and so what's going to end up happening is um, by people buying in at $5, uh, it, it is going to make them a investor in your endeavor and also end up oftentimes being a proponent because they can be like, hey, by the way, there's this other Kickstarter going on that's only 5 bucks, and it looks awesome. Yeah, I think that like when you look at those low digital tiers for an RPG, right? To me, it's it's the kind of thing where if you can sketch out the financials and you can make it work with your art budget and your layout budget and your editing budget, etc. And you need to think about all of those things very deeply. But if you can make it work, I think the lower you can push that PDF, you know, the base PDF cost, the better for exactly all the reasons you just said, right? It gets more people involved. And and the other reason I say to set it also gets you quicker to your goal because you have more early investors who are willing to just throw just quote unquote throw five dollars at it right or something. Um, and and let me just jump in and say, especially if you are able to begin to to add things on and expand the content, those people who jumped in at five dollars may be in be, may be willing to drop the twenty or thirty dollars to upgrade to the full book and whatever else. 
like because oftentimes you're not going to add any add-ons or any any perks to the five dollar pdf right yep so going up from there what i would say is let, let's talk about the physical stuff uh before yeah, the physical you because there are trends there right there's a lot of a lot of stuff that you research or whenever you're when you're doing this it's going to come in real handy here yes so point the first that i cannot overemphasize know your costs your real costs okay if you're going to have somebody produce your book if it's going to be like print on demand then that's easy enough you can beforehand go and use the calculators at something like rpg now to know exactly how much it's going to be to run off you know a full color 200 page blah 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 like whatever 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 copy of your book you will know the your exact cost know how much it's going to cost you to ship that thing uh, yeah shipping also being another big deal right because you gotta keep in mind where where you are and where you're ship where, where you're going to allow shipping to exactly um was was probably one of the biggest problems we ran into actually on our kickstarter interestingly enough well and that was even after doing research and hedging against it right like i tried yeah. very hard to hedge against it and right. yet, we had a huge buffer going on there we were like we were ready to go but right. still but still international shipping jumped in cost in between when i did my research and we we actually got the product to ship right so i had and that was only like three months right yeah very short period of time uh, so if you're going to allow international backers, international shipping, which by the way, for something like an RPG, you probably want to, right? Like, let's be honest. You probably want to have international folks involved. And if that's going to be the case, then you need to very, 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 very deeply research international shipping and how much it's going to cost you to send those physical books overseas. Um, there are sometimes services you can use where you can send them a big lot and then they'll handle the individual shipping. So you can look into that kind of stuff. Um, there are options out there, um, but know that it's going to be a major cost center and don't be afraid to set some really expensive price for international shipping. People will complain, let them complain. It is not worth going bankrupt or submarining your entire project because you couldn't handle a few trolls complaining that you said international shipping at $30 for a book. It's really expensive to send stuff overseas. Know this and plan accordingly. Your, the financial, your financial, like, I don't, whatever I say, surety or whatever, you being solvent, there you go, is not worth somebody complaining about because they don't want to, it's too much money. If they don't back because of the shipping cost, okay. They hey, they can always back at the PDF level. If right. if it is a project that they really like and are really interested in, they can always back at that lower tier. Right. Right. You're you're making up for that that deficit there by offering something digitally at such a cheap price that it's hard to say no to even at that point. You know, you can say, well, if it's going to cost me twenty bucks extra to ship it there, that's just dumb, guys. But you can say, well, you could come in on the PDF. Right. And you'll have it. You'll have it the day after the Kickstarter is over. You know what I mean? It's ready to go. Yep. Um, and so as far, so as far as tiers go though, right, we're talking about tiers, I think still on I tiers. we, we were, that, we were rolling I've, through there. Yeah. We're still at tiers and I've got a couple more bigger things, but please go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, a couple, a couple of things came to my head were, uh, one, a little bit of swag goes a long way. Yep. Just a little bit. Um, now I'm not saying you should just have just tons and tons of tiers. Cause we talked about that. The first thing I think Tom said was don't go overboard. Right. 
Yep. Um, don't have yeah. 20 tiers or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you can have more, more than one tier. Just don't do like 30 tiers. Right. So, so I, so I say a little bit of swag goes a long way. You know, if you can, if you can have like whatever, some cool T-shirts made with the logo of your game or something, or a picture from your game, or you know, you can get some pogs made, or I think we did, we did bookmarks or something like that, which is a good idea when you're, you know, selling a book to have a bookmark to go with it. That's cool. We we did bookmarks. We did uh, game tokens. Yep. Uh, yeah, the game tokens. Yeah, it, like a little bit of swag goes a long way. People love that stuff. Um, that's just the way it goes. Like people love swag. So having a little bit of that in your tiers will go a long way um, to drawing people up in those tiers uh, to, to slightly higher levels. Because, you know, especially if they're really as passionate about your project as you are, um, they're going to want to be, you know, as much of a part, as, uh, a part of your product as they can afford. So that's a good thing. A little bit of swag goes a long way. So think about stuff that you can add. Um, it's not going to be, you know, too expensive to produce, but will be a quality thing that someone's going to be happy with getting along with the product they originally were going to purchase. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Don't make it just a cheap thing. Like do that is to say, do something nice. If you do a quality, bookmark, yeah. make it quality art, quality and, printing. And like the bookmark, most people would be like, who uses the bookmark? So there's need some context here. We were making a narrative role-playing game. Okay. Which was about story. And so like, th- like, so the, the, the idea of the bookmark is broader than even just marking a place in your book. Right, it's right. theme adjacent. It's right there. Yes, yes. Um, and the other thing that came to mind w- was uh, product involvement uh, is interesting to have in your tiers, and that's something we rolled with a lot too. Um, we we came we came down to the decision that having people involved in other parts of the process of creating our book was a good way to get more people interested in the game itself. Because you know, if if you get to be as as a as as someone who's going to buy into this. Um, an active part of the creation of this thing, you can then, you know, you're going to feel better about it and you're, you're, you'll be willing to come in at a higher price again. Um, and I mean more than what most Kickstarters do to start with, which is you get your name in the book or something like that is, is what happens. Like a lot of Kickstarter games will have, you know, a, several pages of just like all the names of all the people that, that uh, donated. Now our product had that too, but we had other tiers that did other things. Um, that interacted with the game itself that we were making, can, right? Can you give an example? Sure. I mean, well, the, the, obviously, the two things we did were uh, we had, you know, the ability to have an artist, I think, come in and do a portrait of their, uh, like, them as a character. Um, in the book, yep. Correct. In the book, which was excellent because people, like, people, one, would love to have, you know, a piece of artwork that's basically theirs, Um made for them, tailored to their interests, you know, like, you know, we, I'm sure we had somebody who ended up being a knight or something like that. So they have forever have like this, this tangible piece of artwork that's them as a knight, which is awesome. Right. Yep. Um, but it's also published in a book. So everybody else who joined in the game is going to see them in that book, um, which is great. Um, so that's, that's one way we did it. Another way we did it was, I think our highest tier was um, a world builder tier where we were like, well, we will work with you to create a setting to go along with this, uh, our, our rules, and we'll publish that in the book as well. So we, we quite literally you know, built campaign settings um, tailored to uh, our, our backers' interests and then put them in the book. Yep, yep absolutely. And, and let me go ahead and connect this full circle. When you do these things, you add cards. When you add like poker chips like we did or bookmarks or specialized art 
or you have these high tiers. And I think that's exactly right. Have a couple high tiers that have real tangible things that get people involved in your game. I love that. But connect the dot. You got to take this full circle. If you're doing that stuff, then all of those need to be in your project. Time plan. and money. Time, Time and, money. and money. Yep. You need to know how long does it take to get those things produced? How much does each one cost? Real cost. Not just per item. How much does it cost to ship to me? How much does weight does it add to my final shipping? All of this needs to be known quantities. Okay. Right. Yeah. The, the, the entire like character. Uh, I'm sorry, not character. Uh, the setting thing where, where we allow people to, to, to tell us about what, what, what they wanted their setting to be like and stuff like that. And then writing those things was, was brutal. I mean, that's, you know, you have, you have to write and then vet your material all over again as if you're writing the game again. So that was a lot for us to take on. So you have to think about those kinds of elements. When you're going to do these nice kick-ins, add-ons, these big tiers, these big tiers can oftentimes have cool rewards, but they can also have, uh, they can also have, you know, lots of other time involvement. Luckily, though, you, you do have the ability to set limits on these things and how many people can, can come in at a tier and things like that. So you can, you can look at your cost analysis in that way. Um, I think I think we had we had you know a very very limited number of people possible to to join in on those tiers that we set up right. Yeah, I think we had ten, and, and we sold all ten of the high level. And tiers. you can some of these like if they are limited like that, ex like extremely limited, like ten, you could have loss leaders. Um, like so you could have those as a like be to a degree underpriced or at cost, um, for the benefit of uh making your goal early so yep. if you had two of these or like 10 of these very um very uh aggressive uh, like uh opportunities let's say uh 10 slots at 200 dollars. let's say you have a five thousand dollar goal um if those fill up very quickly you're almost halfway to your goal so one uh, of you guys should probably talk about the early bird um stuff too right on and how to work that in what to think about yeah, sure. So, Tom, do you want to talk about early bird stuff? Yeah, so early bird is going to basically function. Um, oftentimes what these are, these are going to be a lower priced, like a deal, basically, a limited offer deal for the first 100 backers or for the first however many backers at it various tiers. It could be the first five, right. Um, but what this is going to do is it's going to generate momentum in the Kickstarter. And there is nothing more important, in my opinion, than momentum in Kickstarters. Success breeds success. People are much more likely to back a successful Kickstarter than they are one that's not, period. End of story. So, like, only the very dedicated are willing to back it when it's still at, like, $200 of needing $2,500. So you need to build those early numbers with people like your social networks that you've already built and you've already been prepping and you've been announcing this is coming and you've been saying, hey, this day is coming. Please back it, please back it, please back it. Push on people, lean on people, get them to back early. That starts building momentum. Then you have your early bird deals to continue building momentum, right? And hopefully by this point, you're getting near enough to your goal that other people now look at it and go, oh, they're definitely going to make their goal. I'll go ahead and back it, right? Not that they lose anything. To be very clear, there's, you know, Kickstarter doesn't, it's not like if you back and it doesn't fund, you lose your money. You don't, you don't lose anything. But that doesn't matter. People psychologically, follow success period right yeah and i think like um for example in our kickstarter i think we hit we we hit like halfway through our goal um on like day three 
Um, so three days in, we were halfway there. Um, and, and that's all from front loading these, these success tactics, right? Yep. And, um, now, now it, t- it took us a, a while longer to hit our actual goal. Um, but that, that front loaded, front loaded bit certainly paved the way for success in the future. Uh, even though things slowed down, we never lost momentum. Yes. And, and it's a well-known thing, but there will be a lull. The middle part is the dead zone. Like don't lose hope. Don't lose, don't lose hope. hope. Yeah. You're, you will have, if you're just starting at your first one, you'll have negative days in the middle, like days where you go down that could happen easily. Okay. What you need to do is fight. Like, again, this has to do with pre-planning. There are podcasts out there. They're always looking for guests and want to talk about RPGs. Reach out to these people long in advance and say, I'm kickstarting here. Could I come on your show? Could I talk about it? Could I, you know, and stuff like that. Reach out. Yeah, even a, even a mildly popular podcast, like, you know, <laughs> something that's got, you know, three or 400 listeners. Think about what that can do to your Kickstarter, you know? Yeah. Just, just even, even, even if a very small percentage of that 300 or 300 or 400 people um, listen to that podcast, they're like, oh, that sounds cool. That's a huge boost, huge boost. So think about that, definitely. If three or four of those people on a middle day that's normally a dead day go and back your product, that alone will stop that trend, right? And is generating interest in the middle. That's literally the numbers we're talking about here, right? Um, so you have to put that marketing bump gets even more important during that middle period. You can't just sit on your laurels because people just don't back Kickstarters that are dead in the middle. Either they're an early adopter and they're they're <coughs> they're in from the beginning, or they're gonna they're gonna wait. They're gonna wait until the very end. They'll probably set their reminder because Kickstarter lets you set a reminder like forty eight hours before the Kickstarter ends. They're gonna just set that reminder and wait it out, right, and see how it all turns out. Who the waiters? Dang the waiters! Yes. Uh so you know, to me. It's the kind of thing where anything you can do in that middle period to build interest, to keep your momentum going, to keep Uncle Mo, as I like to say, on your side, is, I think, very, very, very beneficial. Continued in part two. 